Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. Now, we're coming to the closing part of our series in the book of Judges. And up until now, 1 through 16, we've been talking about various judges. Samson was really the last of the judges. For the closing chapters, chapters 17 through 21, 21, right? Let me double check. Slow page turning here. Yes, 21, I was right. (laughs) Through 21, what we find is a shift from talking about the judges to talking about the overall spiritual climate of Israel. And just as the judges were guilty of losing focus, so as we come to these concluding chapters in the book of Judges, the people were guilty of losing focus on God as well. And it demonstrates itself in the way that they conducted themselves. Let me ask you something, and probably this is a horrible illustration right before lunch, but don't you love smorgasbords? You get to go and take a little of this and take a little of that and take a little of something else and walk away. And before you know it, your plate is like piled that high and that wide. It's a terrible place to go if you're on a diet. (laughs) Because not only do you have the motivation of a lot of tasty food, but you also have the motivation of, I want to get my money's worth. (laughs) And so we go and we overindulge And we do something that really isn't that healthy for us because it's there. And you know, as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and the approach that Micah takes toward religion, really what we find in this story is a man who had a religious smorgasbord. He looked at the culture around him, the ideas around him, And he formulated his own religion by taking a pinch of this and a dash of that and a little of this and combining it all together into what we would really call a man-made religion. And in this man-made religion, we find that he totally missed the point about how to approach a holy God, how to worship Him, how to come to terms with who God is and who we are in light of who God is. And that's what I want us to see this morning. First of all, the marks of a man-made designer religion. And what we find as we come to the 17th chapter is the first mark of a man-made designer religion is this. We are manipulative in our approach to God. Look at the story as we pick it up here in the first verse. And notice it says this. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim. And by the way, this would have been relatively close to Shiloh. Shiloh was where the tabernacle of God, that place where people worshipped and offered sacrifices to God, it would have been relatively close to Shiloh. And here is this man named Micah. Now, there's a problem with Micah's integrity because as the first verse continues, look at what it says. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, eh, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Now, I want you to think about the ramifications of this. 
1,100 pieces of silver. That would have been tens of thousands of dollars. You know what Micah did? He ripped off his own mother. He stole from her. He took what was not his, and as a result of it, his mother utters in his words, oh, curse the person who took my money. Now, Micah wasn't saying anything about who took the money until he heard the curse. And then upon hearing the curse, he went, "Uh uh-oh, she's calling down the wrath of God. I'm the one that took the money. I'm the one that she's cursing. I'd better make this right. So rather than looking at an opportunity to repent, to confess his sin in a way that honors God and in a way that seeks to make things right, He's trying to avert being the recipient of a curse from God. And so what does he do? In this text, he fesses up. Mom, you know the 1,100 pieces of silver you're missing? I kind of took it. So what does the mom do? The mom looks and says, oh no, I've cursed my own son. I'd better call down a blessing to offset the curse so that everything will be all right and life will be good again. You see, both of them were more or less viewing God as that person that you call on when things go bad, you ask God to do bad things to those who hurt you. And when things start to improve, to offset the thing that was bad, you call on God to take what you asked him to do that was bad away. It's manipulative in its approach to God. And you know, as I started thinking about this text, this passage, I thought, how often do we as believers do that same thing? As a follower of God, when somebody hurts me, I go to the imprecatory psalms, those psalms where David calls down God's wrath on his enemies, and I open up the Bible and I say, oh, God, make them pay. And then... I'll turn around and I'll say, God bless this person over here because they were nice to me. They did something really good for me and I'm so happy. Will you please bless them because they've blessed me? We try to direct God. And what that descends into is more or less this attitude that God is there to serve my needs and my purposes rather than me being there to serve God, we get confused. God calls us to view him not as a divine errand boy, but to view God for who he is, God Almighty, the sovereign God, not at our beck and call so that I can curse one person and bless another, but Almighty God, who I am to submit to, and who I am to obey. You see, what would have been right for Micah is to have never taken the 1,100 pieces of silver in the first place. He broke God's law, thou shalt not steal. But to compound that, he stole from his own mother. That's where Israel was spiritually at this point. They were operating by the superstition of the culture around them, And they weren't focusing on who God is. And let me say this, and this is very important. If I am disobedient to God, 
I don't have the right view of who God is. If I'm saying I'll make my own rules and I'll do whatever I want and whatever I think is right, then I'm not viewing God as who He is. God Almighty, the Creator, the one who put rules and directives into place as a revelation of his character and his nature. When I disregard that, I'm disregarding God. But then the text goes on. And as we come to the second part of this passage that I want to focus on, we find that man-made religion modifies absolutes to suit ourselves. Look at verse 3. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to you, Lord, from the hand of my son. Now, we're going to pause there. And you know what? If Micah's mother would have paused there, this would have been a great passage. When we dedicate material things that God has given to us to him, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Because we are taking that which is created and we're honoring the creator. We are taking that which is seen and we are honoring the unseen. And it's important for us as human beings to let go of our material things and dedicate those things to God in giving and in serving him. But the mom didn't stop there. She was so happy about getting the 1,100 pieces of silver back What did she do? It says, I will make a carved image and a metal image. Now, wait a minute. It's good to honor God, but it is not good to take what God has clearly taught us in his word and do that which dishonors him. Just as it was a breach of God's command to steal the 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother, it is also a breach of God's command to take that returned money and make a graven image. One of the Ten Commandments says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You know what he's saying? Don't worship the created. And why God has this in place that we aren't to make a carved image of him, I think is important for us to grasp. Number one, when we make a carved image, you know what we do? We diminish our view of God. That carved image cannot reflect the character and the nature of God. It's going to isolate on something. It's not going to see God for who He is in all of His splendor and in all of His glory. It takes glory away from God. So when I make a carved image of God, I'm doing something that God expressly forbids for a reason, an important reason. Number two, when I make a carved image, it's awfully hard to disassociate worship that is only an image and it's going ultimately to God, it's too easy for me to just worship the image itself rather than God. We look at this and we say, well, of course I would make a carved image of God. I know better than that. And yet, some Christians will take a picture of Jesus 
And they'll say, you know, in my quiet times, sometimes it just helps me to look at that picture of Jesus and to pray as I look on this picture of Jesus. Really, we are treading dangerously close to the idea of a carved image. Look at what happens when somebody sees a stain that represents a religious figure. You'll drive by a place under an underpass in Chicago where water has stained a concrete wall, and you'll see candles and flowers dedicated to this stain. There's a part of man that wants to make this connection and worship something that is visible rather than the invisible. But you know, it can be even more subtle for us as Christians. You see, sometimes we will borrow images of God from the culture around us, from our own nature, our own feelings, our own reasoning, and we will fashion an image of God that doesn't reflect who God is at all. In fact, when we read something in Scripture that says God is the opposite of what I formulated in my mind, I say, well, you know, that's just the way I feel about this issue. That's how I see God. Listen, God is a God of revelation. He has shown us who He is from His Word. And any representation of God that I fashion that doesn't reflect who God is is falling into the same trap that Micah and his mom fell into. We are worshiping the seen and not the unseen. We are worshiping the, the created and not the creator. So as believers, we need to keep from following this pattern that Micah puts into place. So what does he do? He takes this money. And in verse 4 it says, So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image, and it was in the house of Micah. Now, one other point. They obviously were going against what God revealed when they said, I'm going to make a carved image. But did you notice the figure in verse 4? I'm dedicating 1,100 pieces of silver to a carved image. Verse 4, so they took 200 and made the image. Wow. 15% of what they'd promised as dedicated to the Lord. It's so easy to get caught up in the seen versus the unseen. But then we come to verses 5 through 6, and this is another mark of a man-made religion. We make the religion about us and not about God. Would you look at the fifth verse with me? It says this, And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. Now, do you catch what's going on here? Not only do they have this illegitimate image of God that they have created, but you know, we have to put that illegitimate image of God that I've created in something, so I'm going to build a shrine. Now, God's plan for the children of Israel was to go to the tabernacle to worship and to make sacrifice. And Micah's plan was 
I've got this idol. I need a really neat place to put it. Bear in mind, he was not far from where the tabernacle was. So out of convenience, can't you just see this rationalization? You know, it doesn't make sense for me to take me and the whole family over to Shiloh. I'll just make my own idol here. It would be much more convenient to worship God in my front room than at the tabernacle. And again, this is something that we do as human beings. We're looking for convenience. We're looking for what is the best way I can obey God and not really put myself out a whole lot. Micah basically takes parts and pieces of the Jewish religion and mixes it together with the religion of the Canaanites and he comes up with a complete religion of his own. And he thinks that somehow that's going to please God, but in reality, it's an offense to God. And I believe that's why it's recorded here in the book of Judges. So look at this religion that he designs. It says that he made a shrine, that he made an ephod. By the way, the ephod, if you remember, was a breastplate that the priest would wear. And inside the ephod was the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim were the way to determine the direction and the course that God would have us follow. It was to be used by the high priest in determining God's will. So what does Micah do? Falls into the same trap that Gideon fell into in Judges chapter 8. He makes an ephod. If you look back in Judges chapter 8, you find that when Gideon made the ephod, it became a snare for him and his family and brought the whole community into idolatry. And so here is Micah following the same path, going down that same road, and he makes the ephod. But he didn't stop there. In addition to the shrine, the idol, and the ephod, he gets household gods. Now, let me assure you, nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to have household gods. That was purely a Canaanite thing. So what does he do? I'll borrow some of the stuff from Judaism, and I'll borrow some of the stuff from the Gideonites, and I will come up with my own designer religion. But I have to have a priest. No really good religion is good without a priest. So what does he do? He ordains one of his sons. He goes up to his son and says, hey, you look like a priest to me. You're now a priest. So you can serve my fake God in my fake shrine wearing a fake ephod and be my fake priest. That was his solution. That was the course that he chose to follow. And all of this was an affront an offense to God. Well, then the story continues. As we come to verse 7, we find something else about man-made religion. There's a motivation behind man-made religion, and often it's driven by materialism. And we shift from the story about Micah and his mother and his household to another character who's added to this narrative. And this character is a young Levite. In fact, pick it up at verse 7. And here's what the scripture says. Now there was a young man 
of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. Now, what's being introduced to us is a young man who's looking to make his way in the world. But there's something unique about this young traveler. He was a Levite. Now, you might ask, what's so special about being a Levite? The Levites were the priestly tribe of Israel. This young man should have served at Shiloh in administering the tabernacles, sacrifices, and serving there. But that's not what he's wanting. That's not what he's looking for. I'm going to go out away from my mission, and I'm going to choose instead to follow my own path and see if I can make my fortune. So in verse 8, it says this, And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn, now look at this, where he could find a place. In other words, he's an opportunist. He decides that he will go and find a place, meaning I'm not going to make as much as a Levite in the temple as I think I can make out in this area over here. So I'm going to go look for fame and fortune. And lo and behold, what happens? And he journeyed and he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. Now let's think about the motivation of this young man. This young man was coming seeking self-enhancement and not serving God. This young man was really a mercenary minister. He was looking for how he could advance himself. And listen, this is something that we should never place in priority over God. Making it. Being affirmed and recognized by the people around us. It's so much more important to do the thing that God calls us to, to be the person that God made you be. But when we sell out and we, we, we choose to do things that will be deemed wonderful and good and important by everybody else, we compromise. Materialism can take root in our heart. That's why Paul warns us of this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it says this, if someone spreads false teachings and does not agree with sound words, that is, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a teaching that accords with godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. So here's the point. This young man wasn't following the word of God. As a Levite, he should have known the word of God, but he abandons it to go and make his own way in the world. He had departed from what God had said, and he was following his own path rather than following God. He had become conceited, lacked understanding, but look at the last part of this text, who supposed that godliness is a way of making profit. It's terrible when we take the principles of God and the things of God and make it all about materialism, make it all about profit. As followers of God, that shouldn't characterize who we are, and it certainly shouldn't motivate us. But that's where this young man is. Why? Because look at verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
Now really, this pertains to Micah, and it pertains to this young Levite. Nobody looked at what God said. They instead were an authority in and of themselves. When it says in this text, in those days there was no king in Israel, when we look at the history of Israel, they sure weren't the kings who kept people from idolatry, right? <laughs> As a matter of fact, study the kings of Israel, both northern and southern kingdoms, and most of the kings led people into idolatry. Really what it's talking about is we can't be an authority unto ourselves. We can't make up the rules as we go along. We have to put ourselves under the authority of God. But it's the last part of that sixth verse that really stands out. In those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Let me tell you something. When I do what is right in my own eyes, I am the champion at rationalization. I will find a reason to disregard what God tells me to do and to pursue what I want in disregard for that. And I'm great at explaining and excusing and coming up with reasons to do that. And guess what? You are too. <laughs> That's what the fallen nature does. The fallen nature tells us, never mind what God says. Doesn't this seem more reasonable? This is what Micah had done. And now, this is what this young priest was starting to do. He was turning in that direction. So making it is the highest goal. And of course, when we make it, we have to have money. And we find that money is the chief decision maker. Look at verses 9 through 10. When we come to verse 9, it says, And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to sojourn there or where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me to be a father and priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. Now I want you to think about what's going on here. Micah is looking at this and he's saying, Ugh. You know, I made my son a priest, and I know enough about our religion to know that he's an Ephraimite. He's not a Levite. So along comes this young Levite man. And what does Micah do? He looks at him, he goes, score! Now I've got a Levite that can be my priest. This will legitimize my religion. Because I've got a real priest who will serve. And look at how he motivates the young man. I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year. I'll give you clothing, room and board. If you'll serve as priest in my shrine to my idol, which represents Jehovah, the Lord. So we're okay on all of this, right? And look at what the young priest does. The young priest goes in. In other words, he buys in to this man-made religion. You know, as I look at this, I see that there are so many who do the same thing in our day when it comes to God. We compromise. 
We bend here, we bend there. Yeah, I know Scripture says this, but... And we're looking for self-advantage and self-enhancement. And often at the root of it are finances. Paul said this again in that same chapter to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It is so easy for us to take that which is seen and elevate it above the unseen. It's so easy for us to focus on the created and forget about the creator. And this is what Micah does here. Micah is losing his perspective or has lost it, and now he has encouraged this young man to come in and lose his perspective too. And because the young man did what was right in his own eyes, not what God had told him to do, he compromised. Listen, a compass that isn't set on God is a compass that will mislead you. You will go down any path. You will find yourselves doing more and more when it comes to compromise. You will forget that God sets the boundaries, makes the rules. God is the one that I'm to submit to, to listen to, to make decisions on the basis of. And as Christians, we find it far too easy to move into areas that disregard God. We buy in to the thought processes of the world around us. And we start to formulate our ideas about who God is, not on the basis of his revelation, the word, but on what seems good to us. Sometimes, as Christians, we'll sin. And you know, I've actually talked to some believers who will say, well, you know, I know the scripture says this, but I have such a peace about it. So I know this is okay. Uh-uh. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. So if I have peace in my heart about something, so what? It's the creator who has designed us. It is the creator who has put his truth and his truths into place. And I am not to set aside what the creator has said as the created. Final part of this passage. When we come to verses 11 through 13, we find that we can mistake prosperity for blessing. Look at the 11th verse. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So from an outward perspective, what's to not like? I've been adopted into a wealthy man's family. I've got a continuous gig at his shrine. And now I'm like one of his sons. Who knows when he kicks off, he might even leave me something. So obviously, God must be blessing me because things are working out pretty good. Isn't it easy to fall into that trap? Because I'm not experiencing any kind of discipline for what I've done in the moment. 
because I'm not sensing terrible consequences for what I've done in the moment, then God must be okay with it. Listen, God tells us very clearly in his word what he's okay with and what he's not. And just like you can't say, well, I have a peace about this, you can't also look at your circumstances and judge it either way. If you're serving God and you're going through trials and, and difficulties, you can't say, I must have missed God's will and direction. But by the same token, if you're being disobedient and things aren't completely coming in on you, you can't look and say, well, God must be okay with this because look, everything's okay. The young man settled in. Isn't it easy to settle in to sin? That's why we can say, hey, I have a peace about this. The more I disregard the things of God, the easier it becomes to disregard more. And that's why I can have a peace about what's going on in my heart because I've quit listening to the voice of God. And I've started just listening to me. Look at what else we find in this text. Verse 12. Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became a priest and was in the house of Micah. And then look at the 13th verse. To me, this is extremely startling. Then Micah said, Now I know that Jehovah, that's when we see all capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's who it refers to. Now I know that Jehovah will prosper me because I have a Levite priest. Never mind that everything that he did was categorically outside the boundaries that God had established. I know God's going to prosper me because I have a Levite. And you know, as I look at this, I think about how often we as Christians can fall into that same mindset. I'm going to do plug in your favorite sin. I'm going to do this because I teach Sunday school and that offsets this. I'm going to do this because I go to church and a Bible study and that offsets my behavior over here. We're very good at equivocating. <laughs> I'll take this to offset this. And that's precisely what Micah was doing. He was being disobedient to God by drawing this Levite into his man-made religion and he was mistaking God's blessing for something that he had concocted in his own brain. Let me encourage you this morning. God reveals what he wants us to do in pursuing a relationship with him and following him and knowing him. He's very clear about it in his word. Don't fall prey to being drawn into the culture around you, into ideas that seem reasonable to you in the moment. Look to God's word. Look to God's revelation. Draw your understanding of the creator from the word of God. This is why he gave it to us. This is why we're to study it. This is why we're to understand it, but most of all, this is why we're to obey it. God wants us to follow him. Not a designer God that we make in our own minds for our own purposes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the challenge that it is to us all. May we avoid the mistakes that Micah made.
and may we serve and follow you, the God that is the one true God, God Almighty, the Creator. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.